was trying like home brews, home rules. I couldn't get to house. House rules is what we we're talking about. <laughs> yes, we are talking about house rules. So, uh, mom asks, what are they? House rules are, so I think the most infamous game for house rules is Monopoly because nobody ever plays that game. According to the rule book, they always have house rules, um, applied to it, but it's basically just an agreed upon rule set with whoever you're playing with. That is different than the assigned rule sets in the, in the rule book. Um, so it's just a way for you to change the game according to your preference um, and your play style. But Monopoly is the most uh, infamous for being house ruled to death um, to the point where you have to sit down and like t discuss what rules that you're going to play if you're sitting down with a new group of people. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's probably the most famous, but then there's also a lot of card games that have a variety of rules to them. I think Uno's another one that has a lot of different house rules that aren't really technically in the rule book that people just kind of know and play with. And poker. Poker's, mm -hmm. poker's terrible for house rules because people usually house rule in a sucker game or two. So, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so you end up, you know, getting into a game that you think is poker, but it's really something else completely. Yeah, so a couple of board games that I'm going to throw out as far as uh, house rule ability is um, there's a there's a game called Mysterium, which is Clue meets Dixit, and I think most people are probably familiar with Clue, the board game Clue. Uh, Dixit is a um, kind of abstract picture. Uh, kind of similar to apples to apples, but you're using picture cards instead of word cards. And so you're giving a clue as to what your picture is. And then people try to guess which picture you're trying to give a clue to. Um, so Mysterium is clue meets Dixit. Uh, meaning that there is one person that is giving clues in the form of these picture cards to try to help all the other players, because it's a cooperative game, all the other players guess um who who done it um you know who who's the who's the killer where, where did it happen and what object was used as the murder weapon so that's where the clue stuff comes into play and um we got Alan in the chat he wants to hop over to the voice chat but uh basically i'm not sure if it's originally German or this is where I need Sarah to help me but it's it's originally not a, a US release as Americanized they added a whole bunch of point systems and things like that so they could declare one person a winner on this cooperative game and so while not really a house rule more like a return to the original rules um, Mysterium is one of my favorite board games of all time and I highly, highly recommend that if you do get that uh, game, go and find the original rule set and play with that instead because uh, they just destroyed that game when they released it in the U.S. So uh, that's the first one that comes to mind when I think of house rules, which is not technically the case, but it is if you're just going by the American rule set. But... Uh, that that is one that I always tell people whenever I sit down to teach them the play. And I'm just like ignore ninety percent of the rule book and just focus on these few points because it's such a simple game and the the American rules complicated it so much. So for me, um, that's a big one when it comes to house rules. A lot of people think of house rules as adding stuff uh, to the original rule set to make it more complex. But I also like the idea of house rules as a way of simplifying a game and making it more approachable. Yeah, usually they are added on, not taken out. Yeah. I I tend to house rule in the opposite direction, um, where I like to simplify games. And you'll notice in board games especially, a lot of times there's a basic rule set that's kind of like the learn-to-play session and then there's variants built into the rule book to kind of add stuff. So that's kind of, in a way, board games are 
being released now with different types of house rules that you can apply built into the rule book, which is pretty cool. And and card games too. Mm-hmm. Uh concept is another uh board game that is kind of Pictionary esque, but it's got a board with a bunch of pictures on it, so you just point to the pictures that you, you're using to give your clues. But it's another one that has a rule set that is overly complicated and wants you to assign points and has timers or some other nonsense in it to make it way more complicated than it is. Uh, And whenever we played it, uh, we always played it as just a jump in, jump out. Everybody plays together and has fun with it Um, and not really worrying about things like scoring or things like that. So that's another example of a game that I would just play for the fun and don't worry about scoring which for me uh that's that's what I like to play anyway. I don't like to play overly competitive board games um or with overly competitive people. I don't mind playing a competitive board game, but I tend to like games that are just casual and fun and concept is one that can be played really super simply. Um, and there's lots of variants online for things like that. So my, my general rule of thumb is if I get into a game and I'm just like, I don't like the scoring mechanism, or I think it's a little too complex. Um, I start looking, start looking online for variants. Board Game Geek is a huge, uh, resource for people kind of trying to figure out variants for board game rules to either simplify it or adapt the play style of it a little bit. Well, chess is interesting for house rules because chess doesn't really get house rule much, but they do have chess puzzles, and they Mm -hmm. have chess puzzles that are with the regular chess rules, and then they have chess puzzles with house rules, and that takes off like crazy. People play all kinds of puzzles with just knights or just pawns, things like that, Um, and uh, that wouldn't make any sense at all in a chess game, but works as a puzzle yeah well and then there's also um games like zombie plague which is a print and play game um it is a homebrew you can go and just download it for free and and have all of the stuff um but uh it's a game that i have been playing for years And I realized that over the years, I've had to house rule it so many times because since it's a homebrew and since it's it's kind of RPG-esque where one person is the zombie master and everybody else is survivors. Um, And so I've had to come up with rule sets for things like well, I'm a zombie now, but I want to be a good zombie and fight other zombies. Or uh, I want to be a traitor and attack my allies. Um, And so I've constantly had to adapt and like add rules to that and house rule it in so many ways that um, I can't, like I can't even go back to the original rule set because it's so different than the way I play it now. So a lot of that stuff just happened gradually because... And I think this happens a lot in RPGs is where you kind of have to make up a rule on the spot because there's a scenario that one of the players thought of that isn't plainly stated in the rule set. So you just kind of have to make something up. Um, I think RPGs are like the, the, the king of, well, just figure out an arbitrary number in your mind and roll a die. And that's the new rule for that particular scenario. So uh, RPGs are definitely house rule heavy when it comes to stuff like that. Well, you can get away with it, but yeah. At what point do you uh, do you stop with the house rules? It seems to me that it's a good way to uh, to throw something in, not really play tested, and totally break a game. So, or has that been asked? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, no, no. Um, I would say that. If you, I mean, if you experience that and you break a game, as I mean, I could see where in a campaign it would be an issue, maybe. Um, but for me, that's just like, oh, well, that was a trial and error thing with that house rule, and that didn't work. So you're going to have to adapt it and change it some more um, to try to figure out the right way to do it. But 
so so much of uh, what I've had to do over the years is focus focus on the fun when it comes to zombie plague. Focus on the fun of that scenario um, and not really worry too much about breaking the game because those are all run shots. So if it breaks the game, it, it, it's just for that one play session. And then I can be like, oh, well, I'll fix it for the next one if I realize that that's ridiculous and makes that zombie way overpowered or something like that um but i could see in a campaign where you want to be a little hesitant if you're if you've got a long-running campaign and then somebody introduces an idea early on and then you're just like oh well i just accidentally gave this player god mode um oops (laughs) (laughs) it's happened uh one of my things that i like to try to do is let people know ahead of time and i may make little house rules it's weird for me to be making house rules in my own game, but uh, yeah. if, I, if I do that, is it, can I really make a house rule in my own game? Um, <laughs> but if I do that, I don't want to spring something on people by ambush. I want them to know that a, a rules change is coming. And if they don't know what the rules are going to be from week to week, that sounds like a good way to rapidly lose players. Yeah. It all it always kind of depends on who you're playing with too, because if you've got people who are deeply engrossed in the rule set and know knows it as the as the players and not the as not the DM, um, mm-hmm. then obviously you want to be upfront on that. A lot of times, though, as, uh, in RPGs, if you're working with new people, they don't know what the rule sets are, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can make up stuff all you want, and they'll be like, "Cool, that sounds legit." Um, uh, I rolled a fifteen. Did I win? Yeah. <laughs> It's the mystique of the dungeon master. You have all of the uh, charts and and bits of information that they don't have, so you can always just roll a die behind a screen and be like, yep, that worked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, I've been talking a lot. Somebody else chime in. (laughs) I've been running the show. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Now, this is what editing is for, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I think in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, speaking of very early, you know, um, Dungeons & Dragons, a lot of times the rules were so minimal, mm-hmm. the assumption was the Dungeon Master was going to house rule every time he played. Yeah. Well, that became the de facto uh, way of doing things for for certain um i've read some stuff in these uh, in, in books that uh, people have written for uh for the original dungeons and dragons and advanced dungeons and dragons and pick a flavor and they were talking about the bad old days and i remember specifically the um uh, the wilderness survival guide if anybody's old enough to remember that uh it was talking about this came to be because Somebody asked the DM, how far can their character swim while carrying all this? What? What do you mean, how far can they swim? There's no rule for that. There's no, you don't have any, even guidance for how to do that. And they had to make this stuff up. So new rules wound up coming out because they were forced to uh, be put on the spot and come up with something immediately that worked well enough to get people through the day. Those house rules, I... I honestly think that there's a high chance the uh, that Gygax and Arneson believed that they had solved the problem. They had sewn it all up, and we didn't need any more rule books until we stress-tested this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's coming out and, with all these new house rules that they've, uh, uh, they've got to patch holes with that weren't in the original set. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was... Uh, <laughs> I'm out of caffeine, and I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Well, every time you make up a table, a D10 or D20 table, you know, you mm-hmm. really, even though it's just like a random choice of even treasure or something, in a way, you're um, you're adding a rule. You know what I'm saying? You're saying, okay, I can yeah. roll a dice, and I can roll a dice, and then we'll find out what that treasure is. You know, and of course, depending on how generous the table is, you know. Will, will they be good treasures or, or crappy treasures, you know? Um, and uh, and that was, uh, I mean, you, everybody uh, playing old school 
always was looking for new tables and they'd get them out of Dungeon Magazine or um, from their friend or out of a book that mm-hmm. wasn't even uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know. And just anything because my brain is full and I don't have anything else to think of. So, hey, let's <laughs> go ahead and grab this. And, and boy, they didn't play test that crap. They sure didn't. They just threw that out there. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't play tested. It was, you know, you just played it. Yeah, and, and playtesting is great and balanced is great, but the truth of the matter is is that Dungeons & Dragons is not a balanced game. The Dungeon Master holds all the cards and the players, you know, the Dungeon Master has to be opposed to the players and helping the players both, you know, for the game mm-hmm. to work. You know, in other words, he's fighting against the players, but he's also giving the players opportunities, so to speak. Okay. Um, I was about ready to flatly disagree with you but <laughs> go ahead go ahead I'm, i want to hear more yeah well um because um there there is no character strong enough that a dungeon master cannot devise a dragon big enough and bad enough that he's going to whoop on that character you know well it uh, has been said if you give anything stats the players will find a way to kill it yeah <laughs> well that's a that's a human thing there is well, uh, always I, winning <laughs> well that's why the lady of pain you will not find any stats for uh for planescape the lady of pain they did that on purpose and they said that's why if we gave her stats somebody would find a way to kill her yeah yeah well that's true but the um the adversity between between the game master and the players or the characters, or whoever. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, it's not a fight. You're not really having a fight. You shouldn't fight with your players, and this is one thing that I talk about in my uh, uh, Lore Master's Guide. You're not in a contest with them because things are so lopsided that it yeah. can't be considered a contest. You have miracles in your pocket that you can pull out anytime you want to. Hits land if you say they do. Spells go off the way you say they do. Yep. monsters die if and when you say they do it, it it's not even a contest right. this is not even a whooping this is just an erasure if that's what you want to do so you have to give your characters your players things to for their pcs to overcome and you're supposed to lose you're supposed to lose you're not supposed to make it easy but, you, yeah. but i think you're actually supposed to lose yeah um i i will say hero quest Carl's example of the best board game of all time. Um, Hero Quest <laughs> is a good example of a game that's horribly unbalanced in favor of the player characters. Because if you progress through the campaign and get so far, you your characters get so overpowered that they can just breeze through those dungeons. And so that is, that is a situation where me, as the dungeon master, I started implementing more stuff to actually make it a challenge. And I think that that's the balance that you kind of said, you know, you don't, you don't want it to be easy for them, but you want it to be something that they can overcome because yeah, what I was running into is that they were breezing through the dungeons and that also was not fun at all. Right, so you right. have to figure out that way to raise the stakes. And so that's a situation of where I had to kind of house rule to make the enemies more powerful, to like give some extra spells to some of the enemies, to give them some extra abilities, to make them actually a threat because people are walking into these dungeons with 12 health potions each. And, you know, there was nothing, there was nothing that they were afraid of anymore. And I was just like, well, you know, now we got to put some some (laughs) fear of the dungeon master back into them. But yeah, if you just play through that game based on the rule set that it's provided, by the time you get to like the fourth or fifth dungeon, you're just like, well, these guys can just mop through this and not even try. So, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just collecting the treasure. That's all we're here for. But now there, that that raises a question in my mind. Our house rules apparently they're 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 necessary. You have to do them from time to time because things aren't really. Um, you can't cover every scenario unless you yeah. have a very simple game. So <clears throat> are house rules really just an outgrowth of inadequate or, dare I say it, bad game design? I think some of it comes down to not necessarily bad game design, but player preference. Like, of course, of course. I, 
I complained a little bit about some of the scoring mechanisms and things like concept or Mysterium earlier in the episode, but some people may really like the scoring mechanism. Some people may really like having a definitive winner at the end of the game. I just feel like both of those games being kind of more of a cooperative-esque play style didn't really make sense to have a definitive winner, and so I took all of the scoring out in both of those examples. But some people may really like those, and so don't really need to house rule that stuff out. Well, I'm sure that there are no Wizards of the Coast goons waiting to come to your house and work you over with links of lead pipe because you're not playing the official way. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, you should be able to do whatever you want and change rules and not feel uh-huh. like what you're playing is anything less than the um, than the official um, fifth edition game, if that's your thing. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's something that is very true of, of tabletop gaming, is that as long as the players agree upon the rule set, there really are no like rules to what you have to play it by you can you can adapt it however you want and um obviously you can't do that with things like video games or 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 things like highly competitive where everybody has to be on the same rank types of sports or whatever um i'm sure sure strip monopoly has happened at one point but oh yeah not think about it yeah well, and I, I use Monopoly at the very beginning as the example of the most house-ruled game there is, because it really mm. is. People people don't even know what the actual rule set is to that game, because it's been house-ruled to death. And uh, for me, uh, I think one of the most interesting parts about house-ruling is something that, when I was talking to Kira about this earlier, he touched on, is that whenever he house-rules... He ends up house ruling so much that he basically ends up with a homebrew and then designs his own game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can see that because there's so many times, especially with tabletop games, board games, RPGs, where you can say, oh, it's kind of like this game, but it's got these aspects to it. And so a lot of times when you start house ruling enough, you kind of develop your uh, an entirely unique game. Um, and I think that that's happened to a lot of game designers is they... Mm-hmm. They pull from games that they like, but then they find ways to change it or blend it in such a way that they come up with a completely unique game. Uh, bro, that is entirely my game. That's exactly how I wound up with what I've got. <laughs> Another thing uh, that's similar to house rules is, uh, I guess you could call them side rules or other rules. A lot of DMs say play um, a pretty strict game according to a certain rule set, except one aspect of it will be out of another game. Rules from another game got stuck into this game because I like the way we did it better in this other game. I've seen that. <laughs> um, I remember back long ago when, when second edition was the latest and greatest. I'm that old. And third comes out and we're like, I don't want to do this different. I don't want to do it. But there were things that we liked. So we just kind of stole those things and... We had a weird mishmash of pure strangeness, but it was fun. We still all got together and did it. Yeah. Um, uh, Megan was talking about how uh, sometimes a house rule is uh, taking stuff away. I think in 5e, I think that's pretty common. Uh, Most people do not play with the full 5e rule set. You know, they play with the parts of the 5e rule set they like (laughs) and just ignore the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of ignoring the rest, why did they skip straight from 3.5 to 5th edition? No, there was a 4. No, there wasn't. There wasn't a 4. <laughs> I thought there was a 4. There was a 4, wasn't there? It's a joke, bro. It's a joke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, I got the hiccups. Hi, Carl. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> we've been talking oh. about you already, so. Okay. Actually, we've been talking about Hero Quest. With yeah. Fancy radio. Mic. I said. Mm. I said Hero Quest is definitely a, a good game for house ruling. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Almost by uh, necessity. 
not almost as much uh, uh, by necessity as like OD&D, which you had to house rule, but, um, you know, wasn't wasn't really complete without it. Uh, HeroQuest functions fine as a board game that it is, but it's easy to add stuff to it. Yeah. That's what I mentioned. I mentioned in HeroQuest that at a certain point, my my party got so good that they were just mopping through the dungeons so fast mm-hmm. that I had to figure out ways to make it more of a challenge. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think you should house rule D&D. I, 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 so here's the thing about Dungeons and Dragons and, and how I feel about it. I feel like Dungeons and Dragons is a game that existed for 25 years and now everything else is some weird kind of Dungeons and Dragon-y thing. And maybe that's just like the OSR spirit in me. And maybe I'm, I don't know, uh, beating the drum that doesn't need to be beat. But like Dungeons and Dragons pattern now is every six or seven years, it's a totally different game. And that's a bad pattern. (laughs) Because for 25 years, it was functionally the same. There's more similarities between second edition and OD&D than there is between second edition and third edition that came out a year later. Uh much more cross compatible. So uh, that being said, when I talk about D and I'm talking about those versions. Fifth edition is much harder to house rule than old school D and D. Why would you say that? Because old school D and D is more compartmentalized than fifth edition is. And so tweaking something in old school D and D doesn't affect the other parts. Hmm. Well, I <clears throat> admittedly, I don't have a lot of experience with 5th edition. I think that we played a game for a couple of weeks, maybe three, and then it just kind of got pushed off by the wayside and we went off to do other things because life happened. But <clears throat> it, uh, I, I will go so far as to agree with you that it has its own flavor. And it only peripherally resembles the game that we've all been playing. I mean, the dice are the same. Mm-hmm. That's but true. that's that's about it. And I think it's more <clears throat> like D and D than three point five or four E, especially four E, which didn't feel very much like D and D to me at all. <laughs> We've already um, decided they didn't make that. <laughs> <laughs> I've played it twice, so I. <laughs> what are you? I don't lying? have I don't have very strong opinions. <laughs> On the game, and I would play it again, but it, it is definitely, again, one of those things where it just shifts every seven years. And I, I kind of hope 5e breaks that cycle, even though 5e is not my preferred flavor of Dungeons & Dragons. It's certainly functional and seems to be working for lots and lots of people. So I kind of hope 5e breaks that cycle where we don't see, it, you know, 6e being totally different. I don't think there's there's... No way 6E doesn't come. 6E will exist, but I hope it's not a complete redesign like has been the case for the last three editions. Well, yeah, I mean, they're a publishing company. They sell books. You can't sell the same book for 15 years and then wonder why nobody's buying it because they've already got it. So there's going to be a sixth edition, surely. And I was going somewhere with this, but my caffeine has run out. Sorry. So, are we speaking about specific house rules for specific games? Are we speaking about the uh, the way to introduce house rules, or or what? I mean, I'm late. Yes, to, the party to all I, of I, it. I, no, yeah. um, I talked about some specific house rules because I I addressed some things with um, some board games that I have house ruled. So you can go into specifics if you want. Sure. Do All right, <laughs> I'll do that now. I'll do that now. Here's Wait my <laughs> here's my uh, 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 house rule advice from 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 DM Carl, as I'm known in some corners of the universe, <laughs> <laughs> also known as CK Carl in other corners of the universe. Um, my house rule advice is: write them down, put them on a piece of paper, and hand them to your players. That's my first advice, (laughs) because if you do that, you submit them in a way that they can go, Okay, well, these are the new rules. And they they 
will one meet less resistance Two, you won't forget something you know there's nothing worse than saying oh yeah i forgot my house rule you're dead now uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that the rule is that just yeah 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 the house yeah. if i write that on a sheet of paper you just go i guess i'm dead now uh, as far as specific house rules, specific ones, I got a few. So I play uh, a lot of basic expert Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basic expert. Okay. Basic, basic, basic expert. Basic expert, uh, which is two box sets, a basic box set and an expert box set uh, that is uh, colloquially known as... <laughs> That's a hard word to get through. <laughs> yeah. Colloquially known as Basic Expert or BX Dungeons and Dragons or Moldvay Cook Marsh Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and it is a fine system and you can run it without house rules and it'll work fine. Uh, but I do house rule it. And some of them are as petty as like in it, the battle axe is a two handed weapon and I make it a one handed weapon. And it's just the tiniest little details that I'm like, nope, that's a one handed weapon. In my games, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter too much, but it matters to me. Um, and <laughs> it's because it's because, and I'll tell you why. The longsword in BX Dungeons and Dragons does a D8 of damage. The battle axe in BX Dungeons and Dragons does a D8 of damage. One requires two hands. One requires one hand. You've functionally removed battle axes from the game at that point. Like, there's no reason mm -hmm. to be wielding one if this other weapon is just as functional, but you can also use a shield with it. Uh, oh, that's Munchkin play. That's Munchkin, but you're right. Well, you I mean, Munchkin play. You can do that. <laughs> so, my house rule for Zombie Plague was that you can carry as many items and weapons as you want because it's a zombie apocalypse, and you will figure out a way to carry as many items and weapons as you want. So. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I'll let it go until the point where you're carrying around a grand piano and a water clock. And then, you know, we're not going to be able to let you uh, keep doing that. You're going to have to start keeping track and doing double entry bookkeeping. To be fair, to though, a grand piano is not an effective weapon, so. <laughs> have you not ever had, had story, one dropped yes, on you? <laughs> Don't tell that to Wiley Coyote. <laughs> We're going in. We're going into the cartoon territory here. So, uh, you were you were talking about house rules, and I think the reason that we have house rules is because the rule set as written is broken for us in some way, and it's broken for each person with house rules in a different way. So that's why we're doing this. We don't make house rules to complicate our lives. We make it to improve the game that we play. So let's talk about death. Yeah. yeah. Dang. House Get rule. into this. Death is the most, the original house rule, the most house rule thing in Dungeons and Dragons. And house rules have worked their way up into the regular rule sets where it's harder to die in the actual rules of current Dun Dungeons and Dragons than it used to be. Because DMers oftentimes would say, well, you got zero hit points, but you're not dead yet, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, zero's dead. You got one hit point. Yeah. And the rest are extras. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, I, you know, many DMers have a different way of dealing with the guy who got hit one time. You know what I'm saying? And, and now he's dead. Mm. You know. So they house ruled it. Well, we just had that happen. A uh, guy came in through no fault of his own. He rolled bad, and all of his hit points were taken away. All the important ones were taken away. And now he's down, and he's leaking all over the floor. But he's still alive for the time present being. And instead of the party coming in to save him, uh, they ran away bravely. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's stuff so, and that, that death, is, death is part of the game, and sometimes it happens even to like, a new character. In fact, it should happen at level one a lot. You know, I think that's that's another thing. I'm, yeah. I'm not crazy about five uh, E because you start in like you're level five. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, come but level one Dungeons level and Dragons. Three. I mean, a goblin can hit you right once and you're dead. Right. You know. I love 
You got level one characters coming in with their first character. And like, oh, check this out, man. I'm new to play and I got this level one character and here's this big backstory. And I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be awful. Uh, <laughs> so, Carl, mm-hmm. speaking of this idea of a goblin can be a threat, I remember you saying at one point that your preferred way of DMing is that a goblin can always be a threat. Is that no matter how... No, I don't remember ever saying that. <laughs> uh, I remember you saying that you like you like even no matter how leveled up they are that there's still some threat even with like the puniest things because truthfully there is. That's me. If, if you get stabbed right, you're gonna die. Right. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean the uh, yeah, I mean they could employ traps or poison. Uh, I do think there's something to be said about the zero to hero nature of Dungeons and Dragons and that's part of its popularity so uh, fighting goblins at low level I think should feel different than fighting goblins at high level now as far as like logical consistency or simulationism uh, yeah sure getting stabbed in the face should kill you but that's just not what D&D's about like D&D isn't a simulationist game uh, it's a game it's a it's it's I think a lot of the problems people kind of uh, place on Dungeons and Dragons shoulders are uh, a lot of it comes from forgetting that it's a game. Like it has a game functionality first, and uh, the real world functionality of it that you kind of provide yourself with this verisimilitude of a narrative or real world situation. That's a secondary feature. You know, wizards <clears throat> cast the spells they cast because that's how the game functions. They use daggers because that's how the game functions. Um, You know, yeah, there's no logical reason why a a wizard wouldn't be able to uh, pick up a sword and swing it around and and do all that stuff. But it's just the way the game functions. That's changed. And they've changed the way the game functions. And that's fine, too. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think while a goblin... Well, I think there can be situations with goblins in them that are threatening, especially mm-hmm. when poison or traps are involved. I do think there's something to be said about a knife level fighter uh, just, uh, you know, not even concerning themselves with with that type of monster anymore because uh, it, it provides this kind of scope of progress that is a huge draw of the game. I'm apparently just masochistic and don't... <clears throat> Don't buy into any of that and think everything's a threat and try to play D&D where I roll as few dice as possible always because I want to eliminate all possibilities of me getting injured or, or dying. Um, but well, yeah, game, I mean... game is swingy enough for that to be possible. Like, it's still not necessarily a game where you want to just seek out every combat you can. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I had a group of players uh, in my game um, Saturday night that uh, found a bunch of skeletons in tombs and they were positive these things were going to come to life. So they dismantled them first before exploring the rest of the room, uh, which is the right solution for that um, kind of predicament that I place people in sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I've, I have seen people approach that situation where they reanimate the skeletons on purpose to fight them. And it's the weirdest approach that I can imagine to that type of situation. I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but they, yeah. but they, there, that comes with that concept of fighting as part of the game. Right. Well, uh, Larry will tell you that in my games, combat is something that you'd better consider really carefully before you get in. Uh, if there's a way to get out of something without doing combat... You might want to do that because things can get hairy really fast and you can be in over your head and then you're up rolling another character. Yeah. And that's just the way that we do things. It works for us. It's not for everybody. Um, but everybody's welcome to try. Hmm. Well, and I think, again, that goes back to the idea of what is your party's play style? Because, like I yeah. said, my, my play style is very much low combat, heavy puzzle solving and trying to figure out a way to avoid conflict. And so if you have a party like that, then this idea of everything can be a threat um, really plays out better um, than if you have a group that really wants to go ham on combat. Um, and then either you're, you're just 
kind of belittling them because you're you're making them die arbitrarily because you want to prove a point or you're stuck in this situation where you're just like constantly causing them to level up and then get more and more powerful and then you have to come up with bigger and bigger threats to make them even feel like they should hesitate in a battle. Yeah, I was uh, just about to speak to that. I find that I am <clears throat> running different games. It's the same game, but I'm, I'm treating it differently depending on what level my players are. I don't have a set of monsters that are just good for low levels and a set of monsters that are good for high levels. And we'll just go ahead and we'll plug in the appropriate creature as necessary. Um, I find that I'm taking it a little bit more easy with new players. I find that I'm um, you have that level two character right there. Well, probably shouldn't make this a 10 dice fireball, should I? You know, I ought to, <laughs> ought to back that off a little bit. And in contrast to that, last or this uh, weekend, we had some... Uh, the average party level was 11. And good God, I, I had to really step it up. And it was such that they decided the best course of action was to run. <laughs> Just flat run away. And yeah, it, I, I never would have done this. A time-proven strategy. Yeah, yeah, I never would have done this to like a, a new level party. Um, <clears throat> had them the first thing that happened at night, they had a flare thrown out that turned it into day just where they were, and everybody else was attacking them from the darkness, and mages were doing damage from over there. And they still had no idea who was coming at them, and they just decided the best thing to do was run away. And that's probably, well, they lived. <laughs> that's a way to do it. They got away. Uh, never would have pulled this on a um, on a little level one, level two party. And I guess that's probably the most insipid house rule of all. You do want to keep the game going. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and if the players are all dead, the game's not going. And if the <laughs> if they're all like ninth level, just meeting goblins, that's not fun either. So you know, Whoops, adjust, adjustments always have to be made. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's another weird thing about uh, Dungeons & Dragons is that uh, almost all games, um, somebody wins or a team wins or the, the team wins or whatever. But in D&D, &D, winning's not really part of the concept. It's just playing. <laughs> yeah, More about no playing than about winning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your goal is to... What is your goal? I mean, it varies from game to in, game, right? In Chronicles of Ember, your goal is to survive. <laughs> yeah, Megan, I may have a game for you. Uh. I think a little bit depends on your approach to the game as a narrative that you are telling versus a narrative that you are discovering. My preference is to approach the game as a narrative you are discovering. I like to have very little control over the narrative when I run games. Uh, I think once you shift into that narrative you are telling, where you kind of take this, uh, you take the bull by the horns and you try to have some sort of control over the story of the game, I think at that point you're sort of approaching it from a prospect of the adventurers are the main characters in the story. And mm -hmm. if you approach it as um, a story you're discovering and you kind of let the dice fall where they may, and there's a lot of different things you can do to uh, uh, make that function a little bit differently, then we'll see who the main character is. We don't know yet. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, that, what you're describing requires a very specific skill set, and not everybody has it. I don't know that I have it, but... To have somebody who can sit down and just say, we're going to roll random dice and we're going to make a story out of whatever happens uh, through the RNG. I don't think that everyone can do that. And hats off to you if you can. I don't know that I can do it today. I know I've done it before, but again, I'm tired and <laughs> I've gotten older. <laughs> Well, I, I think everybody can do it to uh, different degrees of success. And I do think that's even for, you know, one person doing it, you know, over and over yeah. again, they'll have different degrees of success. But I do think part of the magic of the role playing game is in that discovering of the story. You know, that's why there's so much resistance to railroading is because, um, 
you know, they, they want to feel that their agency is very valid when you play these games. Uh, and I think it's, it's the, the most beautiful part of the game. I think it's the best thing about role-playing games is the player agency of them. I agree. I have heard horror stories recently about a new kind of player that does not do that at all. <laughs> they want to have, yeah, they want to do like the Witcher where here we are, we're present. You tell mm-hmm. us when to roll a die and you tell us what happens to us. And we're not going to actually make story decisions. We're just here to play pitch pennies with dice and throw the math rocks. That's all we want to do. And I guess they can do that and still feel like what they're playing is no less Dungeons and Dragons or insert your favorite game here. But I, uh, I would prefer a little bit more structure than, well, a little bit more freeform. That, that's a little too structured. Um, than, than what they're uh, what they're getting. This was a horror story I've heard. I haven't met these people, but if anything I've learned in my life, these people exist. They must. It's just that insane. There are there are people who play Five E like it was a dice skill game rather than a role playing game, and I guess it's a pretty good dice skill game where you build your character up to be powerful and you throw dice to oppose, you know, to fight things, you know, kind of. Um, it's not, though. I mean, it really isn't a good version of that. That's ex- exactly how some people play it, for sure. And I yeah. don't think that's necessarily uh, brand new. I think maybe the the uh, the amounts have shifted a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, I think there's always been people who've kind of like, I mean, even from like just wanting to roll your own dice, you know, the feeling of your die roll being yours on a random number generator is a little bit absurd, but we all kind of feel that way. So when we roll a D20 and, uh, you know, if you sit down at the table and the DM says, I'm going to roll all of the dice for everybody, you're probably going to see some resistance to that idea, Uh, but it doesn't actually change the way the game runs. No, you're right. Uh, there are some rolls that I do insist on rolling, not all of them. But others, <clears throat> like if it's going to be a saving throw or something that's going to prevent you from dying immediately, I want you to roll that because I want you to have a hand in this. I want this to be your fault, whatever happens. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, people really do. I mean, I, I mean, I see that all the time. Like people really do think of 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 it as almost like a fate thing, and it's their fate when it's their roll. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, where I'm just like, yeah, roll that die for me. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I guess uh, we've kind of veered off track a little bit. So we're talking about house rules and we've, we've kind of veered off track, but not necessarily too good. We're into that too, too, too poorly. Um, You know, I, uh, I think my main uh, house rule for death that we, we talked about earlier, we said death house rules, house rules for death. Um, so I like and dislike death saves from 5e. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an issue where in the game, in basic expert dungeons and dragons, there is no unconscious state rules is written zero hit points. You're dead. That's it. Okay. That is, that is the end of the show for you. Uh, so I mean, you could probably be knocked unconscious by a sleeping gas or something like that within some module, but it's not a function of combat. You don't get knocked out during combat. Uh, hovering on death's door. You don't do that. Okay. Right. So the problem with death saves is there's three of them. And what it creates is this state of, of uh, kind of, um, I don't know what the, the right word is, but almost like in action where they've made one success, they get uh, 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 up to three successes and they're stabilized. And it kind of creates this element of inaction, like, oh, he has one success and no failures. Okay, he's fine now. I'm going to do this instead. And it almost feels less dramatic because Mm -hmm. of that. But I do think there being an unconscious state or an on-death's door uh, is a good place for your games 
Um, so lately what I've been doing, I was doing negative hit points, just negative 10 is dead. Um, it's a bad one to do at all. Uh, but I have been doing a single death saving throw, uh, to put yourself in either unconscious or dead. And I just started using it, but it's, it's worked pretty good. Well, I think I understand why they wanted to take that rule out and not have, and start having these, uh, these death saving throws and, and whatnot, because nobody wants to join a game and play it, and they spend all their time doing nothing because they're dead. Mm-hmm. You know, but well, I, you know, the way I run games, and it's a little bit loosey goosey, you know, almost maybe board gameish uh, compared to some tables. Uh, if your character dies, you get a new character like almost right away. Um, so uh, you're just handed another character sheet, and like you're this guy now, and he shows up. <laughs> um, so, he was in the wagon, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, if there's some reason why I got to work that in later, but for the most part, it's it's dungeon exploration and you're just going to be right there. Um, so, uh, but I think one of the problems with negative 10 is the negative numbers. You know, you're at negative nine hit points and somebody heals you for 1d6 plus one and now you're at negative three. That's a very anticlimactic situation. It's not a very meaty narrative bone to be like, I'm praying over you and killing you, and now you're less dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, house rule com- uh, comes in here. My solution for this is whenever a person is in the negatives and they receive any healing at all, be it a potion of any strength or a healing spell of any strength, they are now at one hit point. Yeah, that's and a then great everything way else. Everything else then takes place regularly. And these little munchkins that I'm playing with, they game the crap out of this. They start like, okay, well, I have this many spells. Well, yeah, don't worry about that. I'm going to hit him with a with a Band-Aid spell, and then we're going to go back. <laughs> right. Use your weakest and, healing spell, yeah. Yeah. And just maximize that stuff. And I guess that I signed up for it. That's what I did. So <laughs> it works. Well, I like a different zero hit point solution. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I never go negative. Uh, if you get one hit point and you get 10 damage, you're at zero, you know. And uh, my deal is that if you go to zero, you are out of the battle. And But you might be saved if someone gets healing to you in short order, immediately, or whatever, however swiftly I think you're going to need it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But if if you go to zero, you know, and there's nobody to help, and you're at zero, and several rounds go by, then you're dead. So you do the mm. incapacitated and dead if not addressed. If not, if not helped. So it's instead yeah. of death saves, you have like death counters. I wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> so the way death saves works is you roll a saving throw some you fail some you succeed if you get three failures before you get three successes you're dead okay but you're basically like you get a failure each turn you better get on this people you better help your friend well yeah. Yeah. i think the, it's fine I'm not... <laughs> yeah. if the if the party is not able to help him he's going to be dead you know yeah, yeah. and if the party yeah. is able to help him then he's not going to be dead. He'll, he'll probably be at one hit point, like Alan says, you know. Yeah, if, if and then you get additional healing from there. Um, so it's funny because this is actually pretty common in multiplayer um, video games as well, is that you get incapacitated, and if you're left unattended for so long, you're dead. Um, right. That's a, that's a pretty common thing when you're doing with dealing with multiplayer video games. So you're kind of using that idea unintentionally, I'm sure, because I, I don't think you play a lot of no, multiplayer I, video games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you've got a character that's fighting a couple or three orcs and they reduce you to zero hit points and you're the only one around, you have no party members, nobody to yeah. help you, you're going to get to negative 10. I bet yeah, you yeah. anything. Yeah. They're going to see to that. Uh, <laughs> Even yeah. though for me zero is stable, you know, you'll hang at zero forever, but I I guarantee they fix that. Yeah, and I don't really have a counter or so many rounds or anything like that. It's kinda like you can lay there, um, no one's gonna hit you. 
You know what I'm saying? For, 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 for As far as the battle goes, everyone thinks you're dead, you know. But if as soon as that battle's over, if someone throws healing on you right then, then maybe you're not dead. That's just the way I've been doing it lately. Mm-hmm. Counter so, by Phil. Yeah. yeah. If whatever you're doing, if you and the rest of your players are having fun, that's the right choice. Yeah. I mean, it's not just not illegal. You know, you're not like, like setting fire to to small animals and throwing rocks through windows or anything like that. You should be okay. That's how I play all my RPGs. <laughs> I just destroy everything around me and mm-hmm. go up to cops and punch them in the face or whatever. Um, <laughs> play your game. Just as, just as aggressive as possible. Guys, Yes. this has been a lot of fun, but I have got to duck out because I have to be up in like five and a half hours to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's so I gotta awful. go to bed. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna <clears throat> depart, but y'all are welcome to continue talking about house rules or whatever nonsense comes after house rules. <laughs> How about house music? House music? Yeah. House okay. party? Oh, look at that! I'm out. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got I gotta duck out, but okay. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. I thought I'd just jump on and see what you guys were up to and check in. Uh, I I just released a uh, an adventure uh, today to my patrons and all that happy stuff, and it'll be available on Drive Through RPG in a couple of weeks. Um, What's the name? Uh, Cookie, a horror story. All right. Oh, oh! It's you ran that at uh, Arkansas RPG Con, right? I, I did, I did, cool. and I'm still traumatizing people with it now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I got everything, <clears throat> got all my eyes dotted and my T's crossed, and put it all together. And it's it's actually up on uh, uploaded to drive through right now. I'm just waiting on the 16th at midnight, and then I'm going to make it go live. Yeah. And we've got this exclusivity cool. thing, and yeah. But uh, yeah, you're free to you're free to play it. Um, Larry's played it. I played it. He survived. He's not okay. No, but he no. survived. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just out telling the world about the crap that I'm doing. Now I get to start writing another one. So I have lots of house rules, but they're all very much related to BX Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I play a lot of Castles and Crusades as well, but I house rule that one a lot less. And I think it's because Castles and Crusades is less rigid in its definitions. So it's it's an easy to house rule system, but you almost can just do it on the fly. You're kind of just, uh, it's easier to make stuff up as you go along with something like Castles and Crusades or any really difficult class based system where you're rolling against a made-up difficulty class compared to uh, something like um, BX that has hard-defined, um, hard-defined um, percentage chances. So it's a 2 in 6 or a 1 in 6 or 35% on a D percentile roll. Like These are your odds of success in uh, in uh, old-school basic expert D&D. It's not based off of a, a variable. So... Yeah, I don't. I don't do any of that. <laughs> Everything I do is based off of a variable. <laughs> You're rolling against something for some reason, you know, or a made-up number. Made-up numbers are good with me. Yeah. Well, CNC functions off made-up numbers. The CNC functions off made-up numbers. There's some guidelines to it, but you can, you know, yeah. handle that however you want. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and so, like for example, uh, you know, there's a two in six chance an elf will find a secret door. There are no rules in basic expert D&D for that to be adjusted for anything, for difficulty, for how obvious the secret door is. Yeah, that's right. All secret doors are the same uh, hardness mm-hmm. to find. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it's more, because it's more sit in stone, I house rule it more, but not the secret door thing. I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> now what's the name for this particular thing that we're talking about? Because we are trying to... I hate to say that we're gamifying a game because I feel dumb when I say that we're <laughs> gamifying a, a game. But <clears throat> to really just throw um, 
well, we threw realism out the window the second the elf walked through the door. Sure. But uh, the way that I've played for a very long time and rolled in, I tried to come up with, all right, if I grant you that there are elves and dwarves and magic is a thing, what kind of common sense things can you take from our world and expect to still be valid here? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's all kinds of house rules right there. So to say that an elf is going to notice this door on a two and six chance and a dwarf's going to detect a greater slope on a X and six chance, I can't remember what that is, and not take into account any of the other um, extenuating circumstances around that and just going by rules as written. Um, what is the name of this thing, this act that we're doing by, by doing that? I can't. It, it escapes me at the moment. And if there's not a name, there needs to be one. Because... The the name of, of the random chance or the name of applying real-world logic to a fantastic setting? Applying fantastic logic to a fantastic setting with no room, no wiggle room whatsoever. This is Man. a game, and we are not going to let common sense have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Um, well, I guess uh, uh, I don't know if there is a word for that. Uh, it's rigid. If that's if rigid, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a rigid approach, or or um, uh, you know, you could say it's a codification or gamification. But you know, I I don't know. I I think the idea that secret doors just being a thing in your game. There are things called secret doors and they have some sort of similar functionality to other secret doors in your game. It's not necessarily talking about concealed or something behind a curtain or, you know, something that, you know, uh, is noticeable that way. It's talking about a specific thing. And and you have to uh, take into account the genesis of this game's creation in that the entire thing was set in some crazy wizard's dungeon, you know, at yeah. one point. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, you know, when you think of it that way, then it can have much more rigid uh, concepts like secret doors always being the same duplicate find or uh, dwarfs always uh, noticing slope. But I mean, again, this is something that's usually modified by modules. Like you'll find a module that says this door is so easy to find that anybody can find it on X and six or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember those. So it's it's a question of where does the rules variation come from? And, uh, you know, uh, the, the issue with the, the climbing system of a duple to check versus a target number is that what happens in those systems, uh, typically is that the difficulty check continues to climb with the target number and the game never actually changes in play. You know, whether you're doing a plus 15 versus a 25 or a plus five versus a 15, it it becomes this. It's the same role. Yeah. I don't know that that's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm against it. <laughs> and it's, it's not even necessarily a flaw of the system. It's a flaw of the impulse of the person running the game to try to make it the right amount of challenging and the difference between that and say uh, BX Dungeons and Dragons is that in BX, everything gets immensely easier. Uh, You get more hit points. Your saving throws get really, really good. Uh, uh, Things get immensely easier. Um, But uh, the game of old school Dungeons and Dragons is avoiding danger. It's not rolling better numbers. Because the outcome is death, right? So if you see the poisonous spider, you don't want to get bit with it, whether you're level, you know, uh, one or level uh, 16 or whatever, you know, Uh, you don't want it to get bit because you make a roll and your chances are much better now, but the outcome is still death. And in a modern version of Dungeons and Dragons, that poisonous spider does 1d8 poison damage. And it has very little effect on the game now. The the idea, it's not even really a different mechanic. It's a type of damage. Um, so, mm. so the difference between an old school mentality and a new school mentality is, is you're still fragile even at high levels because now you have a saving throw that's an 8 plus instead of a 14 plus or whatever it happens to be. 
because you've leveled up, but the, the seven or lower, you know, roll on that D 20 is a horrible outcome for you. You turned to stone or you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's bad. Um, well, Hey, I hate to leave good company, uh, but and something has come up. I must get off of here, but it's been great talking to everybody. Yeah, and Alan. I know I'll see you around. Yeah. Alan, talk to you later. Thanks. Man. Yeah, y'all be good. Take care. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Carl, let's call it a night. All right. I was about to start quitting Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Yeah. Inconceivable. So it is down to you, and it is down to me. <laughs> Emily and Connor watched that for the first time the uh-huh. other night. And uh, they they were talking about it the next day and just, just gushing about it. And uh, in the uh, middle of a grocery store, they pulled out foam swords and waved them at each other and emily said to the death and connor said no to the pain and i'm just having this proud papa moment while i'm sure somebody's calling child protective services on me like this crazy man and his weirdo kids are doing some sort of blood sport what's going on (laughs) quoting movies yeah 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 Well, all right. Have a good night. Yeah, you too, Carl. Bye. You have been listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, recorded March 2nd, 2020, on Monday night Inspired Unreality Open Game Chat, held at Tinker's Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit relatedtogeeks.com. For more information about Inspired Unreality, join Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at GamerPlus.org. The music for this show is Spam by Harry Lurie from the Collaborators CD.